What up, young world? What is up, young world? Please help me welcome to the Save Our Legendary Podcast, NCAA champion, Kentucky Wildcats, hint, hint, NBA, former NBA player, played for two of my favorite teams, Detroit Pistons and the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, I did my homework, Nicole. <laughs> Please help me welcome my brother from another brother. Mr. Tony Dell, make a lot of like noise in there. Hey, my man, my man. What's going on, brother? What's going on? I, I love the introduction, man. Appreciate you showing so much love. You yeah, are man. my guy, my dude. Yes, we go back, man. You know, speaking of going back, watch this. You know, it's funny because people, I, I'm connected. I got friends in such different sectors. People would never connect, even though I played basketball. People will never connect me and Tony. Because I'm going to tell you, Tony, I'm, I, I might have told you this when we first met. I don't remember. But I've been a fan of yours. Like, yeah, I think you did, man. Man, you listen, know. listen. And if I wasn't, a, listen, it was a good thing I was a fan. Because when, when me and you first played together and yeah. you was destroying me, listen, I don't get destroyed, okay? I don't get destroyed. <laughs> I am not the only one that don't want no parts of Tony Delco. <laughs> that is a fact. It was never personal, though, man. You know, hey, when I, when I stepped between those lines, I think I learned early from my brother who used to beat me down, you know, for years, man. Mm-hmm. And I finally, finally had to figure out, like, you know, when you have older siblings, especially brothers who play college basketball, mm-hmm. uh, they taught me so much. And... What they taught me was, although we are brothers, when we step between the lines, we're enemies. Like, I don't mm. know you. And, and so my mindset had to change. And I was like, man, my brothers, they, they're never gonna let me win. But the whole goal was, it's like, we're gonna make you better, but we're not gonna make you better if we allow you to beat me. So every time I stepped on the court, I always saw it as like, you know what? My brothers are out here and mm. I gotta beat them dudes. You know, so when you have those siblings that, have played the game and what they did was they poured all the knowledge into their little brother mm-hmm. and you know I'm, I'm so grateful to this day you know for what my brothers did for me and just mm-hmm. you know teaching me the fundamentals but getting me mentally prepared for you know for high school for college and yeah. even though they never made it to the NBA you know they understood what it was going to take to get there. Man listen I ain't have no other brothers I had an older sister and <laughs> I still don't talk to her so uh uh but going back just a little bit, because like I said, I don't have a whole bunch of time with you. And this, man, I can sit there and talk to you. Know we can talk about two hours. Oh yeah, Jeez. man, we, we we can get it done. We can get we, it done. <laughs> so watch this for the viewers who see me and you. We laughing. They they don't know we've been friends, but I'm gonna take them back to how we met. And you know a little bit of backstory. And I ain't gonna get too detailed. You understand? <laughs> but I, 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 I'm going to try to wrap this up and, and put it in a nutshell. So there was back in Michigan uh, a young lady uh, that I met at a Houston Rockets game. Okay? I took right. my son there. And you might not know this, Tony. I took my son there for the first time to take him to his first NBA game. And how I got floor seats was I was friends with Rafer, with Rafe Austin. Right. Skip to my loop for the people that know the street ball. So Skip was my man. So he was like, yeah, we're playing Detroit. I'll give you tickets. I was like, bad, I could take my son. So we're on the floor. And this, I mean, this, this, this woman was, 
she was something to look at. She was she was outstanding, and she had she had two twin daughters. Oh my god! And she was sitting. <laughs> look at y'all. Look at Tony. Look at Tony. So she had two twin daughters, beautiful little girls, beautiful little girls. And my son was on my left side, and then it was her two daughters, and then her. And the girls kept like whispering and looked like they were talking about my son and my son was kind of, so I thought my son was kind of flirting a little bit. So I was like, oh, shit, that might be my icebreaker for a conversation. Like Mark Oaks, come on, man, stop flirting with the right. girls on there. By the way, no, uh, so, 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 you know, we, we have small talk, whatever. Game, game is over. You know, we, we walk, you know, kind of on the court, you know, and we wait for him to come out. So Rafe came out, I introduced my son to him. My son's all excited in this. She was waiting for a gentleman she was dating at the time by the name of Dikembe Mutombo. <laughs> now, so, you know, when you got those kind of seats, you know, just norm normally just don't know anybody get those type of seats. You know, they, they got to right. be probably someone or something. in Got to be connected. Yeah, yeah got to be, be connected. Yeah, you have to, yeah. So once we found out why we were there, you know, and we kind of exchange numbers. Long story short, fast forward. Um, I go, I go visit her one day. <laughs> sure as I'm dark skinned, she got a picture of her and Tony Delk framed <laughs> by itself. Now, mind you, hey y'all, I didn't know oh. Tony yet because I'm still in, I'm still in Detroit. So I'm like, hey, that's that's you know Tony Delk. Like I recognize you immediately, you know. And she's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah, we 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 were friends. Yeah, yeah. I said, okay, all right, all right. <laughs> I saw, <laughs> so, I, so fast forward, I moved to I moved to Atlanta, and I think it's probably it's probably 07 or 08. It's probably 08, Tony. And Tony, I go into this club I've never been to called Tongue and Groove. Oh yes, yeah. Tony, nice Tony spot. was against the wall. Now y'all got to Tony got nice long spot. arms. He's taller than the average bear. I mean, he just. He's built like an athlete, just period. So he's leaning on the wall by himself. No drink in his hand, because he doesn't drink. I didn't know that at the time. Right. And so I said, damn, that's Tony Dell. I'm a fan of his. And we seem to have someone else in common. So y'all watch this. I walk up to Tony. I say, hey, man, I don't say my name. I don't ask him. He's not arguing. <laughs> I walk, Tony, you remember? I walk, I walk I up know. to Tony. Tony just leaning on the wall. I walk up to him. I'll be like, you ain't gonna believe who we got in common. Who we got in common? Yeah. And Tony was like, he was cool as hell. He was like, where? Who? And so I tell him, and he's just—he was like, oh man, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, we should take a picture and send it to. Him. I was like, I said that. Tony's like, nah, let's not do it like that. Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Like I said, it, it's such a small world, but it's it's so. It's so funny that when you meet someone and, you know, with us being dark-skinned brothers, but we have great taste in what we like. So, you know, when you go out and, I mean, it's, it's, it's so many, it's so many beautiful women out there in the world. And not to say we out there trying to get everyone, but, you know, you have, you have a connection. And a lot of the connection comes when you conversate with people and you have a great conversation. So it's so different now when, you know, you, you meet someone and it's more about the texting. But back during that time, you had to have some game. You had to come up to, to a young lady and you had, to, you had to have a conversation. You know what I'm saying? It couldn't be like, hey, uh, let me text you right fast. She was like, no, you got to get to know me, you know, from, from inside. But, you know, I, I think what made our, our friendship a good, cool relationship was that, you know, 
we both were humble. And I think you know me very well to me making it to the NBA, being a, a star player, Kentucky, like it never really changed me. They always said when people make money, it, it, it heightens who they really are. But I was always humble. You know, I always, I always was humble and I always loved sharing, you know, and putting people in a position where I can help them out. And that's the thing I do now with my basketball academy is that I try to make sure I, I give the knowledge to the young kids, you know, and mm -hmm. teach them like, listen, take this wisdom and take it home, take notes. But in order to be a great player, a great artist, uh, you know, a politician, whatever you decide to do in life, you got to give it 100%. That is and, a fact. you know, when you give it 100%, you know, there is no looking back saying, gosh, you know, I wish I had done this. And also what I know, what I found out too, say, Bond, is that you got to be able to take a risk. You got to take some risks where nobody might not believe in, in what you're doing. They might be like, man, that sounds like a bad idea. But if you <laughs> slept on it, think about this. If you slept on it, you prayed about it, you believe it, I truly think it can happen, man. Like, eat. Because coming from a small town in Brownsville, Tennessee of about 8,000 people is you never think wow. you're going to come from that little town and make it to the NBA. You know what I'm saying? So it was when I tell people about my dream, I said, man, you know what? I, I thought I knew I was good, but I didn't know how good I was until I started playing with city guys to be able to be like, man, this country boy can play basketball. I said, dude, that's all we do in the country. I had I didn't have any distractions. So when I. Talk to, talk to kids, and I see them now, I say, you know, y'all kids are faced with a lot more distraction than we, than we ever had, you know what I'm saying? So you can lose focus quickly. But also going back to women was that basketball was my girlfriend. Like basketball, I knew was going to get me to college because we didn't have any money. My parents, we were on welfare, and mm. we didn't have a car. So when I say wow. we grew up poor, dude, we lived off of like $500 a month. How much? $500 a month. We, my mom, and think about this, my mom and dad couldn't drive. So we didn't have a car growing up. So everything was us walking or me getting on the bike, going to the grocery store, knocking on some neighbor's door. They taking us to the grocery store. And so, you know, it's, when I tell people, I say, you, you don't know poor until you actually witnessed it as a kid. You know what I'm saying? And my, of course, my daughters have never seen it. But when I took my daughters back to my hometown, I'm like, this is where it all started for me. You know, they were like, they were like, daddy, what are you? I'm like, listen, <laughs> this house that, you know, that's probably 60, 70 years old right now. We had like, you know, my dad and I, we shared a room. It wasn't like I, I never what? had my own bedroom growing up. Dude, listen, man, it, it's, it's real. But nobody really knows my story. They just think, OK, you made it, Kentucky, I made it to Kentucky. I'm like, no, dude, it was a lot of work. But also just being. You know, that's where the love was at, you know, having parents that had been married uh, at that time. Um, you know, my parents are deceased now, but they were married for over mm. 50 years. And um, what, seven siblings, um, wow. you know, just from the old school. You know, mom had to be home before the street light came on. I had a curse. Get your ass, I bet, I bet you your Man, ass in you, the house. Street hey, lights dude, come on, you tell know, you that. Hey, you already know I'm on my bike pedaling like 100 miles per hour trying to get home, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> But 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 also but but having older siblings like my my mom and dad were cool you know so it was it's different where you grow up with a parent that's in their thirties you know because they're still still enjoying life they're still trying to get out and have fun mm -hmm. they don't know who they are you know so right. even as I tell my kids who are you know I have uh, two teenagers and then a twenty three year old daughter is enjoy your twenties your twenties are time to make mistakes find out who you are and don't go out and get married you know. 
before you have kids. Man, Enjoy you who please, you are. Would you please say that again? Please say that again, these youngsters. I know some youngsters. If you're watching this, I know you about to get married. I told you don't do it. <laughs> Tony say don't do it. Listen, watch this. Nah. Watch this. 19, 20 years old. Not even in their 20s. Nah, nah. You got, you got too much. Because here's the thing. You don't know who you are. So I tell my daughter, I said, you still trying to find out who you are. You just, you just recently got out of college. I say, enjoy, enjoy the, the, the freedom that you have not to have kids, not to have, you know, someone that you have to come on to. I say women now are more than, you know, they've been, they're so independent now. Like I love independent women. And when I see them, I'm just like, I commend them, you know, for not looking for a man to take care of them. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you can do this on your own. You know, you got to figure it out. And of course, when time comes, you're going to have a mate. But if you can be independent and you can kind of figure out how things work out there in the real world. And when you do find a man, you bring something to the table. You know what I'm saying? It's not like yeah. I'm relying on his salary, but I know what I, I know my value. Like I tell I my daughter, all the don't time. devalue yourself. Yeah. I preach that all the time, T D. I'm I'm I said it in um I did a I did a, a podcast while I was in Miami on the topic of what beauty is, right? Mm. And in that I just in a nutshell said, beauty to me is giving me something mm. or bringing something to the table. That other, don't bring me no ass and don't bring, you can go buy that. I can go buy any, that's, everybody got that. That's very commonplace. But what's not so commonplace is a confidence and a work ethic in yourself to know that when you with somebody, you're stronger if both people bring something different and valuable. Don't just bring something to the table and it don't, you got to have value too. You says, well, you got, you got to be an asset. I could do that. I could do right. that. <clears throat> but but I, I think I think you have to when we look at asset and liability, and I have to learn this as I, you know, of course when I got to college, you know, because when you have parents don't have anything, they're not really they're not saving for anything and they can't really teach you about finance. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of my a lot of my learn uh lessons were in college, you know, and of course when I made the MBA and I I remember getting my first paycheck. I was like, oh my God, you know, like you look at that. <laughs> oh my God. Hey, 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 listen, man. Hey, when I got the first paycheck, like it, it wasn't even real. You know what I'm saying? Because when I never worked in college, so my first real job where I, I made money was my first NBA check. And I, I'm not gonna lie, I think it was about maybe the first check might have been like sixty or seventy thousand dollars. And I'm thinking to myself, like <laughs> Oh man, I'm like, dude, what am I gonna do with this? You know what I'm saying? But 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 let me, let me rewind. A, hey, hey, but listen, but let, but let me rewind. Let me let me rewind to let you know how country I was. So in Kentucky, when you finish playing basketball there, you go around and I call it barnstorming. So you go around and in these small towns and you sign autographs and tell, sell t-shirts and you play games, you know, with, with your uh, other guys who graduated. So mm-hmm. I must have had, you know, like when I was in my dorm, it's called Wildcat Lodge. I had two bags, two garbage bags filled to the top with money, like cash, right? So I'm like, man, you know, I had to, so I, I didn't have a financial guy. So all my money was in this dorm room. And he was like, I said, listen, man, I got, so I barnstormed for like maybe two or three months, right? So I got all this cash. And I'm just like, come after game, t-shirt, I'm putting all this money in this, in this trash bag, right? So, you know, when you're old school, we didn't really trust the banks with our money. So I'm At like all. my mom and dad, you know, so I got all my money with me. And I was like, hey, you know, I have, uh, I said, I got all this money. I said, now, 
I got to fucking figure out what to do with it. He was like, you got to put that money in the bank. I'm like, I don't, I got to put all this money in the bank. Like, I don't trust the bank. You know what I'm saying? Because my parents, they told me, do not ever trust the bank. Because they didn't have any money put in the bank. So how can you trust something that you, you, you never even used? So long story short, I ended up having to put all that money in the bank. So that's when I had to learn how to write a check, balance a checkbook. But, you know, like I said, when you have parents that, you know, I had unbelievable parents, don't get me wrong. They, they, they knew what they knew. You know what I'm saying? Right. You can't make somebody know something they don't know. Right. But when I tell you, like, love and respect and keeping me humble, uh, focused, and, and telling me you got to have a higher power you believe in. And my four Fs, and I tell kids this, would be family, faith first, faith, family, mm-hmm. friends, and then stay focused. Mm. Got to stay focused, man. Mm. Got to stay without focused. Without focus, all those other ones crumble. You already know. Without faith you and focus, know. that's the beginning of the end. Some people call that the Alpha and Omega, see? See how right. that works? Yes, that's, that's so crazy because you went to Haywood, Haywood High School, right? Right. To come from a t- eight thousand people, it's more than that <laughs> in the IKEA at one point <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> and to come from that, I remember yeah. you was picking me up in the uh in the in the in the S five fifty. Remember, yes. we were rolling. Yeah. You picking me up. We been S five fifty. I feel oh, like, oh, man, I already know. I was like, okay, you inspired me to go get my little, my little, my little E class. You inspired me to get my little E class. So I say, but I wanna, I wanna, huh? Go ahead. No, you know what? what, What's so funny is, you know, even, um, you know, when I left high school and I went to Kentucky, and a lot of people know this too, is that after about four games, I was ready to transfer out. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't playing a lot, and coach wasn't like, you know, allowing me to play my game. You know, he he really was. Like Jamal Mashburn was a dude. Like, and I tell you, like, had game, that big dude could play, man. So everything was kind of centered around him. So although we had the best recruiting class, uh, everything went through Mash. Mash was going hardship that year. And I remember I'm sitting back. So Billy Donovan was the one that brought me to Kentucky. He recruited mm-hmm. me from my little small town. He would fly from uh fly from Lexington to Brownsville. He would uh to Memphis and then drive an hour, watch him play. Sometimes he would drive from Lexington to Brownsville. So mm-hmm. You know, he was the reason why I really stayed at Kentucky because he was like, Tony, Coach Patino has a plan for you. But when you a you one of the top players in the country and you're not you're not playing, it was hard to watch your peers play. Like it, it was difficult watching the guys I came in with, some of the guys that went to other schools, knowing that I was one of the top players in the country. And dude, I'm riding the pine. I'm like just watching. I'm like, dude, I'm not enjoying this. So I remember having a conversation. I told Coach Patino, I'm like, listen, man, um, I want to transfer out of here. You know, he was like, so he was like shocked. You know, I'm like, dude, I'm not playing. And long story short, mm. he was like, if you stay, I'm not going to recruit anybody that's at your position. But, you know, that's what they say to keep you. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, no, nah, man. I, I said, I don't really see myself staying here. But uh, but also, I knew I had to grow up. You know what I'm saying? It, it was me being, a, you know, everything was, not to say everything was given to me. I earned what I got, you know, from my right. smaller town. And I'm like, you know, you can't say, it was given to me with what, you know, the situation I grew up in, I'm like, nothing was given to me, but I felt like I should have been playing. So anyway, you know, just going back to that, to that year. And I, and I told kids, I said, you're going to have some trials and tribulations. I said, you might not make a team, but what kind of drive and motivation do you have within you? I said, because mm. you can't lie. You can lie to your mom. You can lie to coaches. You can lie to teachers. Can you can't to lie to yourself. Mm-mm. Nope. So, it sounds to me like you had a whole lot of loving support, but you still 
even in spite of those things, you still had to find the wherewithal and the persistence in yourself, along with some time and maturity to be able to find out, <clears throat> who, uh, understand a little bit better who you are going forward. Now, I wanna pivot real quick because there's something that I wanna to touch on. See, a couple of years ago, this is pre-pandemic, uh, we had all uh, um, the Black Lives Matter and I Can't Breathe shirts back when LeBron and, and then was wearing the t-shirts to games. One thing that I commend Adam Silver and the, um, the previous NBA commissioner with, they supported the NBA players in their social and political mm. stances. Now, Absolutely. you being in the NBA 10 plus, 10 plus seasons, was it as supportive then or, or was it, or, or did they have to like go through racism? Cause like we talked on the phone, you know, back in the days of Bill Russell and it was right. racism everywhere. I think, wasn't Bill Russell the first African-American uh, NBA player? I think there was someone else, but he, he was right there though. You he, know was, he was, he was in that, that era. Yeah, okay, so, era. I mean, obviously, you know, Red Auerbach had his hands full recruiting black athletes <laughs> and paying them, you know, what they was getting paid. So right. how far do you think the NBA has come from dealing with social <laughs> injustices and allowing their players to express that or not? I think what it, what it's done is it's giving it's giving us a voice. I don't I don't I don't think we always had a platform. I think David Stern did a, a, a phenomenal job of making it a, a global international game, and he also allowed the league to grow. But he but he had to come in and and be not really be a dictator, but he had to make sure the league was structured in the right way and and guys were disciplined because the only mm. way it was going to grow and you was going to bring corporate America in, they had to see that there was something good. It was a good product. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to put a good product and it has to be, the entertainment is going to be there. But now it's like, okay, I got to make sure it's a good product. And how can I sell this product if our guys are doing drugs or, you know, are alcoholic, you know, alcohol, drinking, you know, uh, out, out in clubs. Yeah, man, you can't, out be, all you can't night, be drinking, you know? man. No, no, no. Can't be drinking on the, can't be drinking on the job. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but uh, but I, I think what, what he did, is that he understood, like he, he talked to players, you know? So even though he wasn't black, he just allowed us to have a voice, but also you gotta have conversation as, as a white man with black men and kind of mm. see where we come from. I'm saying you can't go back to the neighborhood that we, can, that we came from, but what you can do is you can sit down and talk to us and speak with us and we can kind of tell you what, what helps us. What, what are we looking for? What needs do we, um, do we, what needs are going to benefit us? You know what I'm saying? Because now it's about, it's not always about the money, you know, although you need money to survive, but it's like giving us a situation where we can be able to feed our kids and, and their kids. You know what I'm saying? Like we want generational money. Like that's what these players have that we didn't have a chance to do. Like we were able to take care of our immediate family, but some of these guys are getting generational money, you know, which whoever would have thought that, you know, the NBA would be playing a, paying a guy like 45, $50 million. Whoever would have thought that? Well, let me ask you this. <clears throat> just me playing, just just me playing devil's advocate, okay? Do you do you think that that's because the commissioner and the rest of the executive offices of the NBA genuinely cared, or they understood the power 
of the minority dollar. Now, I just don't mean black folks, okay? <laughs> because we're talking NBA is obviously global, global now. Yes. But people don't understand it wasn't always a global sport. And, it wasn't. you know, sidebar, which I need you to answer, how the hell Dream Team didn't have Isaiah Thomas on it? Number one point, but that's that's something else. Sorry, sorry, that's something else. Y'all stop calling me. Okay, so uh, yeah, uh, but that's a whole nother topic. But they're looking and saying the NBA people don't even realize it was predominantly white moons ago. It was predominant. Can you? I'm sorry, ESPN, TNT. Listen, Charles Barkley, Shaq. You know y'all, my guys. Listen, man. Can you? I wouldn't watch it. Y'all, the ratings would be. Plummeting all white guys playing basketball. Yes, it would. But be. if that's all they knew <laughs> at the time, everything. But see, it yeah, yeah, everything was all white, as far as mm-hmm. on television. You know, back then, well, well, somebody, somebody had to break the color barrier. Even from you know, if you look at baseball, uh, like the basketball, all these sports, and even the entertainment. You know, where you you got to look at some of the the Hollywood actresses and, and actors that. You know, they had to break the color barrier. You know what I'm saying? Where, man, like, who was the first? It's, it's the first is going to get at the worst. You know what I'm saying? Because now it's like, this is what people really think. You know what I'm saying? And that's where when we look at, we look at social media right now and some of the trolls and some of the things that people say. And, and people can hide behind who they really are. You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. when the truth comes out, like, you'll be, you'll be amazed at some of the people who are racist. You know, and you'd be like, wow, I never thought that. You know, but... I think doing a George Floyd, like, like you had to be empathetic to what was going on. Like there had to be some empathy and 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 people who might have been racist, you know, to say, wow, just what happened to him shouldn't happen to no human being. You know what I'm saying? And Regardless even of if race or anything, right. it doesn't matter about the race. And, and and what I tell people, I'm like, in this country, like as a as a black man, and even going back three or four years, like we didn't do anything to white people. You gotta understand. Like they were, it's like, they're mad at us for, for what, you know, we were brought here. We didn't do anything wrong. You know, we came over, we worked hard and, you know, we did what we had to do in order to, to, to take care of our family. But the racism, I don't know where the racism started when, you know, you bring up, you bring these black people from a whole different country and you bring them here and we work for you. You know what I'm saying? Like you're paying us nothing. We basically working for free. We make it working for food and, and shelter, but you dislike us. So that's what I couldn't, you know, even growing up in, in a town that was kind of, se- that was segregated, was I couldn't figure mm-hmm. it out. You know, my parents never discussed it. You know, my parents never said anything about white people. So it was never any frustration or hurt in my heart towards white people mm-hmm. because they would like treat people equally. That's all we look for. You know, you treat people the way you want to be treated. So even in that small town, I can't tell you how many white houses that I went to and played basketball with kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, I never, I, I didn't care about going to your house because my mom didn't want me to go in your house anyway. She was like, don't go in people's <laughs> homes, don't eat their food. Uh, oh, Lord. And, <laughs> and nobody can stay, nobody can spend the night. So I already knew the rule when I left the house. So even yeah. though I might've been at, at somebody white house playing basketball, I, I didn't care if you didn't, you didn't invite me in. I don't, cause I wasn't going to your house anyway. Cause anyway. my mom, listen, no, my mom find out. You already know I was getting whooping. <laughs> black mamas, black mamas. I know y'all watch. I know y'all watching. Black mamas, stop beating us. <laughs> stop beating us. Because after y'all get done, and we come, we turn out to be uh, great human beings. Right. When we have kids. We beat them. 
Okay, it's a beating lineage. It's an ass whooping lineage. Please, please. Now hold on. Now watch this. Now I'm gonna stop. That's funny. Uh, we got about so we got about man. We got about we got about mm, twenty minutes most, fifteen minutes most. Okay, so watch this. When you said, "Hey, you know, you bling, you uh, you steal black people," most of us was stolen. Okay, when we mm -hmm. came over here, some of us was bartered away by Africans. Like it, African they, tribes was part of were. it too, but we were, they were. We were the minority share owners of the process. Now watch this. And you say, well, we never did anything to white people. Why are they mad at us? I forget her name, but it's an older white female, wear glasses, she's short, she's older, and she teaches seminars and she's, she's been on Oprah many times and she speaks on it and she's white and she gives pe white people a black experience so they can uh, be more introduced to an empathetic point of view when it comes to black people, mm -hmm. right? So watch this. What she says is, you can boil it down to one word, guilt. Oh, guilt. Wow. That's like that's like the man within a monogamous relationship. Notice I said monogamous because every relationship is not monogamous. Uh, getting caught cheating, and now he spent it on her. He mad that <laughs> she found out. <laughs> Does that make you see? You see that's so. Yeah, it's, it's that it's that guilt thing. It's that guilt thing, and I seriously believe that a lot of white folks understand what has happened. Now, what do most of them say? And they, uh, you know, I got plenty. Both of us, we got plenty of Asian and black and everybody. Oh yeah, of course. So watch this. They, they they'll say. Say, Vaughn, why do you talk about these things? You were never a slave. I was never a slave owner, and I don't want to be. But the thing that, and, and we're going to go back to, we're going to go back to something else after this, but the thing, white folks, listen. You're reaping the, you, you, your kids, your parents, and your grandparents, and your grandparents' grandparents benefits. are reaping the benefits. Now watch <laughs> it, it's twofold, it's two-sided. You're reaping the benefits of owning slaves, okay? Right. People say, well, that's indirect. Or, or, or owning land, like, like well, well, listen, we no, have no, no land but, in this country. But, but you gotta, but you gotta understand something, Tony. You can't own no land unless you ain't got, unless you got money. Yeah. Land wasn't cheap back then either. You know, it was comparable, but you still had to have money. How they get money? You see what I'm saying? It was you still had to. I'll put it like this: almost nobody just worked a butt off back then and you're white and just owned 250 like uh acres 250 acres right so you just work hard and buy that because people don't know slaves were the price of cars you had to have money to have a slave yeah. you had to have money so they have money back then so what happens they will the land you know someone passes and they will the land of their kids or their grandkids or whatever. and now you start off man i wish I wish I start off with 250 acres and two homes. Mm. I would probably Preach. be right now. No, so so that's the, that's one half. The second half is just like white folks are reaping the benefits of that time in that era. Black folks are still in a certain neck. We're in a negative because of yes. that same time too. So yeah. you're you're not. Neither one of us are at zero. White folks are beyond zero, and we're under right. zero based off that time. So that's right. why the gap is so far apart. Now, I want to talk about, do you still, do you still <clears> deal with, 
Dunkin' Donuts. No, no, no. I left them uh, like years ago. I really, I really didn't have a whole lot of like involvement with them. I, because um, I, it, it's funny because I was, I grew up being a, I like Krispy Kreme, so I wasn't like if hey, I'm Shaq, investing in something. Tony, Tony <laughs> wants to get involved with some Krispy Shack Diesel. No, 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 no. no, no. Let, let me let me tell you, let me tell you the best donuts I've had. It's out in L.A. called Sidecar Donuts. So, I mean, when I tell you, like, I love donuts. Uh, but that's next level. But probably in the early '90s, mid, probably late '90s, was when I thought Krispy Kreme, you know, would have been a really good investment, which it would have been. It would have been then, especially it hadn't gone out west yet. So I knew I like. I'm like people like sweets. We love sweets. You know what I'm saying? So when you find a good sweet and a franchise, and we see all these franchises, you know how they're able to grow, and it's like, you know, I hear that there's no money in restaurants, but I'm like, well, how is Chick Fil A and McDonald's and Burger King and it's so many of these these franchises. I'm like, they're making billions of dollars, but you know, it's a bad investment. I'm like, hmm, who's telling us it's a bad investment? You know, but I think when you understand, like, you got to be in that in that circle to know what's going on. You know, it's like right now, this generation is more tech savvy than we've ever been. But you know, tech money has taken you know you know the the economy to a whole nother level. But really, it's being able to be an older man and share with the share the knowledge that we have with the younger generation and try to get them to understand the quicker you understand this, what we know. And, it, and like I said, we had to learn this on the fly. It wasn't like we was born in middle class, wealthy or rich. Um, so we had to learn in our 20s and some of this in our 30s, you know, and I'm, I'm still I'm still learning stuff in my 40s. I'm like, man, what if I had my brain 20 years ago with what I know now? And of course, you know, God doesn't bless us like that. You know, it's like, I got to give you wisdom in decades, you know, in, in, in those, I can't give it all to you at once because, you know, you, you'll stop learning. But yeah. what we, what we, what even what we're talking about is more about how can we help our younger generation, not only blacks, white, you know, women, men, it's, it's you know, the different genders, transgender, it doesn't matter. You know, we just want to share our knowledge with everyone who's listening and who's trying to get to a certain place economically, you know, because you want right. to be, in a position where you're not going and working paycheck to paycheck. Like I know how my parents grew up, you know, and and I know a lot of my friends, parents, how they grew up, you know, and it's living check to check where you don't have, you don't have a savings. You know, it's not about how much money you make it's how much money you save. Mm, It's how much money you keep. Um, So watch this. At, at properly at the, at the highest Peak, how many of those franchises were you involved with? I was involved with at least, gosh, maybe like four or five. Uh, Papa John was probably the biggest one that I was involved with early on. Yeah, I didn't even know you was with Papa John's. Right, right. I did Papa John's early. Uh, Papa John's, I got into uh, I got into this car. Uh, it was Toyota, Toyota factory making car bumpers. Uh, and got into, you know, had a, a building that I put some money up in, which I'm still getting paid from, uh, you know, to this day. But just having a, a, a good financial guy, you know, um, that kind of taught me the game slowly. Um, but understanding, like, you know, what I need to do to secure my, uh, you know, my career after basketball. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of times, you know, when you're in your 20s, you think of this thing, you're going to do this thing forever. You're like, I don't play basketball for 20, 30 years. And it ends for it ends for all of us. But it's like, where do you financially start putting yourself in position? Because you got to understand, 
that's a lottery ticket. You know, from 10 years, you, you get a lot of your money. You get the majority of your money is in that 10 year period. You know what I'm saying? And everything after, if you invest accordingly, you know, you still can make money. I mean, a number of NBA guys who are worth hundreds of million dollars. You know, I, I was just having a conversation with um, someone probably two days ago about Vinny Johnson. I was like, man, Vinny Johnson net worth, the microwave. The microwave. $400 million, you know, but he hit the ticket at the right time. It's kind of like Junior Bridgman. Junior Bridgman was a, was a hell of a player. You, If you look at his stats, you'd be like, man, Junior Bridgman, they look at him, you know, owner of the Wendy's and all the different restaurants. You know, I said, but Junior was a hell of a player. But Junior got – he got in the right circle. And they allowed him to be in the circle and say, hey, we're going to teach you this game. And they taught him the game, and the rest is history. You know, so you look at two guys that, mm. that had uh, – that didn't make a lot of money as players, but are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. But, you know, they were definitely taught the game. So now, for them, how can they share that with other minorities? You know, it's like, okay, somebody had to share it with them. No one became rich by themselves. Right. Everybody needs help. That's you know? a fact. That is a fact. So watch this. <clears throat> I know I keep I keep pivoting, but I ain't got that much time with Tony. Man, I need, we need two and a half hours. <laughs> Let me see. So I want to play a game with you. And the game is, I'm going to say a player. And you got to give me the first Thing, the first word. <laughs> you, you game for this? It's, it's okay. I, I got you, man. Let's do it. Let's all right, it all right. All right. I'm going to start off. So it, it, we, I'm going to make this as quick as I can, okay? <clears throat> Shaquille O'Neal. Dominant. Mm. Reggie Miller. It's going to be two words. Great shooter. Mm hmm. Steph Curry. Wow. Two words. Fundamentally sound. Mm. Dirk Nowitzki. First big man. I had to go in. I mean, I really, I played with Dirk. So Dirk, Dirk was a unique player. You know what? I would say unique. Unique. Don't be my word for dirt. Unique. Seven footer, a seven footer that can shoot threes. He was on, the first man. one. Can handle. First one, yeah. He he was unique. He what they they call now a unicorn. So I would say he was unique. Okay. I got three more. Four more. Dennis Rodman. Energy. Mm. Charles Barkley. He was, I would say, Charles was a force. Force. I'll go with force. I got two more. Michael Jeffrey Jordan. <laughs> Full government. <laughs> I, I, I would say greatness. Mm. What else really can you say, really? That's it. Greatness. Okay, I got one more for you. Tony Delk. Wow. I would say, if I had to say Tony Duck, I would say confident. Mm. I was confident. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I, I knew I knew who I was and I was a I was confident in my skin, 
but I was a star in my role. Mm. Mm-hmm. See, this is where I cue the music, because we both dark skinned. Some say the black of the berry, the sweet of the juice. Some say the dark <laughs> black. black, dark skinned men, we, we still in style. We still in, man. We still in style. We still doing this thing. <laughs> okay? Ain't nothing like a confident black man trying to make something of himself. All you dark skinned men, I got, man, listen, high school, I got bullied. I got. Blackie this, you so black. Oh man, you know man, black joke, listen. man. Hey, what? Put like this. What black joke had you had? Like, like say, like I became immune to the black joke. Like, oh, that's that's so okay. I've heard that before, man. You got you got to tell. That's, like, I tell it? kids like, this. That's all you got to do. Come on, you got to be more you know creative. That's what I tell kids about making mistakes. I said, don't make the same mistake. Make a new mistake I haven't seen. It's just like oh. with a joke. I've heard that joke before. Like, okay, it might might, might make them laugh, but. When you come, like I was coming, I'm like, listen, I don't care what you say, dude. When I step on that court, I'm a monster. And you're gonna be a fan. And, and and you're gonna be a fan. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you might not want to be a fan. You might be over there hating, but I'm like, somebody in your crew like me. <laughs> don't get that twisted. <laughs> somebody in your crew. Somebody in your crew. Exactly. See, I'm gonna tell no y'all, listen, all the viewers, listen, man, all the listeners on Apple and iHeart and all that. Listen, y'all. I had the pleasure of playing with Tony on a few occasions. And I'm telling y'all right now, there's a reason why this man was in the NBA for as long as he was. And I I don't give a damn what nobody say. I'ma still say you your whole your whole career you you were underrated. Whole career. I, I, I don't was give a and damn. I, I could have done a here's the thing too, Savon. I could have done a lot more, but I, I think I stated it best, man. I was I was comfortable in my skin and I was I, I knew what I could do. I I knew I was a gifted and talented score, and I wasn't always able to do it in different teams that I played on. And I was, you know, so to get traded so much is like, dang, I didn't have the stability that I once had, you know, in high school at Kentucky. Because even going back to what I was saying earlier about me not starting as a freshman and not getting playing time and getting ready to transfer, well, I led the team in scoring the next three years. So I didn't mm. just fall off the map one year and then, okay, I come back and I know how to play basketball. I'm like, I was always, God blessed me with the ability to score. And it was just that, you know, when you go to different teams that already have franchise players, it, it, you really got just got to find your role, man, and be like I said, I was comfortable, man. I know I could have done a lot more, but I uh, really wasn't yeah. ripping. These people I don't tripping. even know you scored what 53, 54 points and went in the yep. NBA, y'all. Hold on, man. Listen, I go up to the park up the street and we go to 15, and I got trouble getting eight of them hoes. <laughs> Tony scored, what was it, 50? What was it, Tom? 53, 53. 53 in one NBA game. Man, listen. But but in a different game than it is today, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was a much physical. I mean, oh, the game was physical. That's what I'm that saying. Time. I don't know how. Yeah. That's Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant-esque, Shaq-esque. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, and we, got about two, we, got about, we got about two minutes, Tom. What I want to do. Savon. Huh? Some people think think some people thought it was like, oh well, that was a fluke. I'm like, nah, I say, you know what? I could always score. You know, it was just that that particular game with my man JK, you know, he was just but it it wasn't that 53 was in the rhythm of the game. It wasn't like he was just coming down, I'm getting 25, 30 shots, you know, like we've seen players mm-hmm. that do get the 50 and 60. I got mine, you know, it was a pass to Sean Mary, pass to Cliff Robinson, though. Uh, Rodney Rogers. You know, it was just it was in the flow of the game, you know. So, Roger Rogers was a underrated player. 
Debo, we call you call uh, Rodney Debo. Yeah, he was. He, you know what? I'm gonna put a picture Debo of Debo right here. Bam. Yeah, Debo was underrated too. You know what I'm saying? So we we know the underrated players, man. But at the end of the day, it, it was we just we we love basketball. We enjoyed playing it, and whether we got credit credit or not, we knew who we were as players. I mean, oh man, it's been a. I love talking to you, TD. I love talking to you. Now watch this. We gonna end this with. For all my all my people in Atlanta and the surrounding areas, please pay attention to this, to this part. If you have a son or daughter uh, that's interested in getting better at basketball by a complete basketball veteran, Tony, please quickly break down your academy, how people can get involved. How you can find us, TonyDelk.com. You can go to training. You can go look at our calendar. And it'll show you the days of the week that we train. Right now, I have uh, two teams. I have a fourth grade and a sixth grade fall league team. And we're getting ready for tryouts. Uh, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, and eighth grade, November 7th. Tryouts start at 2.30 with our young kids, um, third and fourth grade. Then we go at five, uh, fourth and fifth grade. Then six, you know, we have our, our middle school training. So, if you have a kid uh, that's interested in training boys right now, we did big oh, girls boys? summer, but I, but I do still invite girls to come out and do the, the weekly training, and we only charge 200, 200 a month. That training is Monday, Wednesday, and Sunday. No, nothing, man. No, nothing for getting a chance to come in the gym and, and work on your craft. So, uh, you know, for all the listeners, uh, TonyDelk.com, look us up. Like I said, we're doing it at the Salvation Army, 202 Waterman Street in Marietta, Georgia. Mm. Come. Come and be a fan, not only a fan, but come and bring your kid and see them improve and develop. We're all about the skill development over here. Now, now, are you TonyDelk.com? Yes. Everybody go there. I'm telling you right now, man, when, if, when I was coming up playing basketball and I played at two universities, I played in the CBA. If you want training from a professional and from a professional standpoint this is a great opportunity now are you going to be signing autographs after it's home because they might want to they might want i, I don't want one i don't know Listen, these kids don't know who i am they, they were at the google room they you know the parents be fans after they get done they be like hey tony they man do, i'm man. a fan of you in kentucky but i'll be seeing them dog. i'll be seeing them baby Okay. On the low, though. On the low. On the, on the low. So listen, y'all. Young world, it's a pleasure talking to my man. You know I love you, man. If you need some help with no uh, the tryouts, you, you know, all you got to do is give me a call and I'll come help out. Um, no doubt. As always, young world, this has been Savon's legendary podcast with my man, the incomparable Tony Delk. And as always, peace, young world. Ready? Ready for safe. Ready? You ain't ready. Ready for safe. Ready?